Um, if you want to turn with me uh, in your Bibles, the, the Bible reading today is, is Genesis chapter 41, uh, and it's verses 41 to 57. You'll find that on page 46 uh, of the Bibles in the pews. So this is Genesis 41, starting at verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zapenath Peneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout uh, Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of Un. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph has said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Amen. Just before we, we come to, to explore that passage a little bit, let, let me just pray. Uh, Lord, I just pray for um, the next 15, 20 minutes. 
Lord, that you would speak through your word. Lord, that you would uh, unveil our eyes. Uh, And Lord, that you would help us to see you face to face. Lord, that anything that is of, of me will be forgotten. But Lord, that you will speak powerfully into our hearts and into our lives by your spirit. Lord, help us as we we explore your word together. Amen. Um, <clears throat> as you are well aware by this stage from uh, many illustrations I've used for previous sermons, I'm a bit of a film nerd. Um, and I was, I was channel hopping the other day and I came across a movie that I, I love. And I know I say, I say that a lot. I even say that a lot from the front. Oh, this is a movie I love. That's a movie I love. But anyway, this is one that I do love. It's called A Knight's Tale. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a, it's a great wee action comedy. It's all about this guy, William, who's the, the servant of a, of a knight. And when the knight dies um, under sort of unexpected circumstances, William, who's, who's always dreamed of being something more, decides to take his place. He finds he has this knack for, for jousting, which is what all knights do when they're, you know, in, for sort of spare time. And he moves up through the ranks. He makes himself some money and he wins the heart of the girl he loves, all those things that happen in films. But he also makes an enemy who eventually finds out the truth that William isn't who he's been, who's been claiming to be. And he comes to gloat at William when he has him put in prison. And he says this, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. Now, many of you will recognize that phrase, not from the, the, the early 2000s movie, A Night's Tale, A Night's Tale, but from Daniel 5 and verse 27. That, those words are used when the, the writing appears on the wall to mark the end of, of King Belshazzar's reign. And one of the words that is on the wall is the word tekel, which means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And as we're about to come and think uh, about this account of Joseph's time in power, we're about to see who Joseph really is. He's about to be weighed. He's about to be measured like he has never been before. And we're going to see if he's found wanting. This is one of those stories in the, in the Bible that I think is often misinterpreted. I've heard lots of people who have, who have got to this part of the narrative and have said, oh, this is a story about how even if we go through bad times and suffering, it's okay. Because just like Joseph, hang in there and eventually it'll all come good. You'll succeed in life. I don't think that's what's happening here. This is not the highlight of the story of Joseph. This is not the, the mountaintop moment. This is the most dangerous moment that Joseph has ever faced. And we've seen him face some pretty dangerous moments over the past few weeks. Here we see Joseph tempted like he has never been before. We see Joseph faithful like he has never been before. And we, and we see in this story, the story of Joseph, the, the savior of his world, that this isn't an example of, of what our life as followers of God might be like. No, Joseph, the, the temporary savior, points us instead 
to our need of a savior like never before. And we're gonna have a think about what all that means for us sitting here this morning. So first off, we see Joseph tempted like never before. We've been through a lot with Joseph over these past few weeks. We've seen him suffer the the betrayal and hatred of his brothers, sold into slavery in in a foreign land, far from the people of his God and the land that God has promised them. And yet, he remains faithful. With God's help, he does reasonably well for himself. He becomes this favored slave in the house of Potiphar, put in charge of the whole household. And then that sexual temptation from this powerful superior. And when he runs from that, the false accusation of sexual assault and the long-term imprisonment. And again, we see that Joseph remains faithful. And when, even when we think it's all going to change, he sees God at work in the, the dreams of the, the cupbearer and the baker. He sees this cupbearer elevated back up to Pharaoh's side with this promise to mention Joseph. And then two more years, he sits in that prison cell. And still, Joseph remains faithful. We've seen Joseph cope with some of the most adverse and awful situations imaginable, and yet he remains faithful. Last week, we saw that that rise to power and prominence as Joseph comes to stand before Pharaoh and declare that his God, not Pharaoh, was able and in control. Joseph, still faithful. Joseph, a prisoner that morning, now suddenly finds himself the second most important person in all of Egypt. He's actually now in charge of running the entire country. Nothing happens without Joseph's say. He's given untold wealth and power and authority. He will never want for anything again. He will never need anything again. Everywhere he goes, people will bow down before him, almost worship him. He's given an Egyptian name, a well-connected Egyptian wife, the daughter of the priest of a foreign god. He's thrust into this totally secular lifestyle. Or let's face it, does he really even need God? Yeah, you know, he relied on God when it was all going pear-shaped. When he was in the pit. When he was in the prison. But now he's got it made. Life's great. Surely he's just going to sink himself in to this good life. And forget all about his past and his people and even his God. You only have to look at the the string of, of what we might call celebrity pastors or ministers who have been caught recently in in sexual misconduct, in bullying, in faking book sales, or receiving extortionate salaries, private planes, huge mansions. We only have to look at that to see that, that even Christian leaders, when in positions of power and influence and wealth, with perhaps limited oversight, can so easily forget God and fall to this same temptation. Well, 
we might not be second in command of the whole of Egypt or leaders of, of multi-million pound ministries, but I think we're just as likely to face this same temptation. We apparently live in the fifth richest country in the world. I may have to edit the sermon after Brexit, but currently, I'm not going to say whether we go up or down, but we might have to edit it. But currently, we live in the, the fifth richest country in the world. We may not consider ourselves wealthy or well-off, but by the world's standards, we are some of the richest people on the planet. Even those of us who are struggling day by day have access to welfare, to healthcare, education. We all hopefully have a roof over our heads and food in our bellies. And if you don't, come and speak to us. Compared to many parts of the world, we have a reasonably comfortable standard of living. And that's just the baseline. I know many of us live in, in decent houses, have decent cars, good jobs, go on nice holidays. Many of us lead pretty, pretty affluent lives. Where day by day, we, we just tend to get on with it. We live a pretty good life. Do we really need God? Do we really have any need of God in our day-to-day lives? That's the temptation that Joseph faces here in Egypt. And it's the temptation that we face every day in the Western world. Do we really need to rely on God? Do we actually live for him in all circumstances? All areas of our lives? Do we pray without ceasing? Or do we just get on with solving our own problems? Are we immersed in his life-giving word? Or is the Bible a book we claim as incredibly important but never give any real time to? Do we serve in church but our lives out there look almost no different to the people around us? Often we, and I very much count myself here, we claim to be disciples of Christ, followers of this God, and yet we hardly ever really talk to him. We rarely take the time to hear from him, from his life-giving and life-sustaining word. And then we wonder why our faith feels so superficial and why we so easily fall and fail. Are you tempted to forget God? Is your faith more than just skin deep? Something you've just gotten used to? It doesn't really mean much to you. Maybe it's just a a comfort blanket, an insurance policy, a get out of hell free card. Or is it your whole life? Is your identity disciple of Christ, follower of the one true God. When power and wealth and influence and ease come our way, do we stay faithful or are we quick to forget God? If you remember back to this time last year, uh, we were in the middle of our, our Deuteronomy series 
And in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Moses talks about this exact same thing. He calls on the people to not forget God once they enter the good land, once they enter the promised land. And what do the people do? They enter the land, things go well, and they forget God. And if you read the narrative of the Bible over and over and over again, this same thing happens. It goes well for the people, and they forget God. And we're tempted to just let the same thing happen time and again. We need to stay close to God, faithful to him. That's where the real life is. Joseph knew that. He was tempted here like never before, but he stayed faithful like never before as well. Can you imagine what a, what a day in the life of Joseph might have looked like? The wealth, the power, the influence, the busyness of this immense task that he's been given. Immersed in Egyptian life, Egyptian culture, Egyptian politics. It's a fairly ruthless time in Egyptian history. Lots of political assassinations and power grabs are going on. And Joseph, this foreigner, this ex-prisoner, this ex-slave has just been elevated into a position some people have desired for their whole lives. Maybe that sounds a wee bit like the politics of your office, I don't know. But it's, I feel like Joseph is in an incredibly difficult position here. And he has to navigate all of this with, with no knowledge of the finished work of Christ, no Bible and no community of God's people around him. All that he has is that relationship with the God of his fathers. This God who has promised him great things in those dreams that he had as a 17-year-old boy. And who has since proven to Joseph that when he says something, he does it. The cupbearer lives and the baker died, just as God said. And now Joseph is living in faith that Pharaoh's dream will come to pass. And perhaps even those dreams he had as a young man. So how do we actually know that Joseph remains faithful and doesn't fall into these temptations that we see at the start of the passage? Well, there's, there's two sections of this passage that show us Joseph's faithfulness. Firstly, there's the fact that Joseph does what God tells him to, even when it becomes ridiculous. Look at verse 49. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. There comes a point where uh, God's provision has become so great in the land of Egypt that, it, that, it, that it's even crazy to try and keep count of how much grain's being uh, stored up. But Joseph keeps collecting it because that's what God told him to do. It probably seemed mad to all the other Egyptian officials. No matter how bad the famine got, how, how could Egypt possibly need this much grain? But Joseph trusts God. And as we'll see in a minute or two, God plans to use Joseph not just to save Egypt, but to save the world. 
And then secondly, about halfway through this story, we come to a bit of a break in the narrative. It seems there's a wee bit of a sort of almost inserted story where we hear about Joseph's children. This man given an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife, and living this blessed life in Egypt. He still gives his children Hebrew names. And not only that, but he gives them names that honor all of God's faithfulness to him. Manasseh, God, the Hebrew God, has helped him forget his troubles. Ephraim, God, the Hebrew God, has helped him to become fruitful in the land of his suffering. Even in the face of of all this temptation, Joseph remains faithful. So how are we doing? How do we stay faithful to God through the temptations of prosperity, of wealth, of ease? How do we cling to God when everything's going okay? I think Joseph can help us here. Joseph recognizes that that all of the good in his life is not by his own hand, but by the provision of God. Joseph, in his trials and temptations, sees God's hand at work in everything. That little touch of pride that we, we see in Joseph at the beginning of this story is gone. And now we see him as a man humbly reliant on God. Manasseh, it's God who brought him through. Ephraim, it's God who's made him fruitful. Are we proud of our accomplishments, our jobs, our wealth, our homes? Do we see them as the the result or the due reward for all of our hard work? Or do we, like Joseph, recognize that, that wherever we are in life, whether rich or poor, whether a slave or a prime minister, we're only there because God has placed us there to glorify him, to serve him, and to bring about his purposes, not our own. How might that reality change how you live out your life this week? I've used one movie example already today, and I'm going to use another one. Um, Some of you have maybe heard of the the stand-up comic and actor Chris Tucker. Um, He he starred in films like The Fifth Element and the Rush Hour movies with Jackie Chan. And in the early 2000s, Chris was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. But when he became a Christian, he began to struggle with the type of comedy that he did uh, in his shows, which was was pretty vulgar and and raunchy. He sort of based his whole style off like uh, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and those kind of guys who are quite blue. And he struggled with some of the film roles that he was getting. He had a choice to make. Forget God that he has just met, that he's just started this relationship with, and pursue the good life as the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Or stay close to God, even if that means sacrifice. Chris is still an incredibly popular stand-up comic whose routine is, is very funny, but doesn't go for those cheap laughs. Hollywood won't really hire him much anymore, because he won't, he won't uh, fill those roles that they want him to. 
but he still does okay. Chris, like Joseph, recognized that everything he had was from God and should be used to honor him. And we should do the same. The other thing that Joseph recognizes is his need for salvation. Joseph knows there's a coming judgment. The seven years of famine. He knows that the only way to be saved is to put his trust and faith in God's salvation plan revealed through Pharaoh's dreams. He knows that that even though right now he wants for nothing, a future judgment is coming, which he needs to be ready for. He knows the only way to survive and thrive is to trust the God who has offered a way of salvation. Joseph has been tempted like never before. He's faithful like never before. And he's pointing to a savior like never before. Verse 57 says, and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Joseph saves the world. Now you may think I'm making the case here that we should all bow down and worship Joseph. I'm not. We know that Joseph wasn't perfect. We know that this is a temporary salvation. But this whole story of Joseph points us to a greater savior to come and a greater salvation to come. We've talked about this before, that Joseph is a picture pointing us towards Christ, given to us over 1,500 years before Jesus is born. Just as God gave Joseph those dreams to point him forward to a hope yet to come through the good times and the bad, God uses Joseph to point forward and give his people a picture of a greater savior to come, the promised Messiah, the one who would save his people, not temporarily, but once and for all. And this short passage, it points us to Jesus right throughout it. Jesus is tempted at the beginning of his ministry in the exact same way as Joseph is here, with self-reliance, fame, power, and he stands firm and stays faithful. He trusts in God. His deep knowledge of God's word and his strong relationship with his father helps him put down the attacks of the devil in the wilderness and remain faithful. It's that clear, strong relationship with God that that helps both Joseph and Jesus to stay the course, to remain faithful. And it's that same relationship we need to have to grow in in order to stay faithful in every circumstance. That relationship with God that we can now have access to because Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Paul tells us in Philippians. Jesus' sacrificial death to take away our sin, cover us in his perfection, and defeat death itself is the ultimate way that Jesus saved the world. It's the ultimate fulfillment of what this true story of Joseph is pointing us to. Joseph was weighed, he was measured, 
and he was not found wanting. And ultimately, he, as this temporary savior, points us to Christ, who we've seen was also weighed and measured and found not wanting. And it's only through faith in him that we, who so often are found wanting, can stand before God, covered in the righteousness of Christ and free from the consequence of our sin because of his finished work on the cross. Yes, this passage is a call for us to remain faithful to God in good times and in bad, to not forget our great God when everything is going well, but it also points us back to our need for a savior, someone to come and rescue us from our spiritual famine, from the death that comes from the sin that we have brought upon ourselves. A savior who not only rescues us, but also feeds us, sustains us, and helps us to find real life and real meaning instead of the the shallow life that comes from what this world has to offer. Do we really need God today? I think we very much do. So let's go to him. Let's stay close to him. Because the story of Joseph tells us time and time again, if you are a disciple of Christ, then the Lord is with you. Let's pray.